ECO Report is a weekly public affairs program providing independent media coverage of environmental and ecological studies with a focus on local, state, and regional people, issues, and events in order to foster open discussion of human relationships with nature and the earth and to encourage you to take personal responsibility for living sustainably in the world. Eco Report is produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana and financially supported by listeners like you. Hello and welcome to Eco Report for WFHB. I'm Juliana Daly. And I'm Frank Marshallack. Coming up later in today's program, environmental correspondent Zero Rose will talk with Delaney Barber, the Outreach, Energy, and Climate Coordinator for the Hoosier Environmental Council. And now for your environmental reports. The following story is quite long, so we've broken it up into several segments to make it easier for you to follow and to help you understand how and why your elected legislators vote on environmental bills. According to Lebanon Gazette, conflicts of interest in environmental bills ensued in 2023 legislative session. The author is Enrique Sáenz of the Environmental Reporter. He moved from IU because the excellent program he did there did not receive funding. The experience WFHB has had with his stories is that they are reliable and thoroughly investigated. A joint investigation between the environmental Indiana Environmental Reporter and the Arnold Center for Investigative Journalism revealed some Indiana lawmakers stood to benefit financially from environmental legislation they introduced or supported. Indiana state law requires lawmakers and candidates for office to disclose financial interests from the previous year, but little in state law prevents legislators from introducing legislation that benefits them financially. The investigation found multiple potential conflicts of interest on both sides of the aisle. Statements of economic interest submitted by lawmakers in early 2023 indicate that financial links to bills introduced by lawmakers continue to exist in the latest legislative session, especially at crucial junctures in the lawmaking process. So how's it work? First up, regarding the gatekeepers. Any member of the Environmental House of Representatives or Indiana Senate can sponsor a bill, but a bill in either chamber must pass through a series of gatekeepers in order to be considered by the full membership of that chamber. In the House of Representatives, the first hurdle is to overcome, uh, to overcome is the Speaker of the House. The Speaker decides where a bill is referred to a committee for review or dies immediately. What about the Speaker of the House? Indiana Speaker of the House Todd Houston disclosed owning a consulting firm with clients currently unrelated to the environment. Houston's campaign received tens of thousands of dollars in contributions from companies regulated by the state's environmental laws that would benefit from less protective legislation. Houston's campaign received $564,000 in contributions to help with his reelection, including $10,000 from Duke Energy Corporation's Political Action Committee, $3,000 from American Electric Power, 
and $2,500 from Nextra Energy Incorporated. Next, we go to the Senate President Pro Tempore. In the Senate, the President Pro Tempore, Roderick Bray, decides whether a bill is referred to a committee or dies. Bray reported that he had business interest in various utilities in Indiana and Michigan, including AES, parent company of AES Indiana, Nysource Incorporated, parent company of the Northern Indiana Public Service, and Michigan-based Edison, Detroit Edison, now known as DTE Energy. Bray also reported that one of his children has a business interest in Duke Energy Corporation. Bray also received campaign contributions from regulated utilities and the fossil fuel industry, including $12,500 from Nysource, $10,000 from Duke Energy Indiana, $3,000 from American Electric Power, $2,000 from Centerpoint Energy Incorporated, $2,500 from Sunrise Coal LLC, and $1,250 from Alliance Coal LLC. Neither Houston or Bray denied any bill assignment to a committee in the 2023 session. And we also have the committee chairs. Once bills are assigned to a committee, committee chairs decide whether or not to allow a bill to progress. Committee chairs, a committee chair can decide not to schedule a bill for a hearing. If that happens, the bill is essentially dead. Most environmental bills go through the committees on environmental affairs, natural resources, or utilities, energy, and telecommunications. So what about those House committees? The House Committee on Environmental Affairs Chair, Representative Alan Morrison, reported being employed by the alarm and security company Mulhaupts and having no outside economic interests. Morrison's 2022 re-election campaign received contributions from Duke Energy, AES, AEP, and Nextra Energy totaling $1,600. His campaign also received $2,000 from trade groups associated with land development like the Indiana Builders Pack, Indiana Multifamily Housing Pack, and Indiana Realtors Association. Morrison's link to the home building industry drew scrutiny when he allowed Representative Doug Miller, a real estate broker and member of the Indiana Builders Association, to introduce an amendment to an unrelated bill that sought to clamp down on the few remaining state protections for wetlands just hours before the committee was set to vote on the bill. Morrison refused to delay voting on the bill despite requests from several committee members. The bill passed committee but the wetlands language eventually scrapped during the legislative process. House Committee on Natural Resources Chair, Representative Shane Lindauer, reported having been employed at an assisted living facility and having economic interests tied to assisted living facilities, but his 2022 campaign received $2,500 from building packs and $1,600 from the utility companies. The contributions amounted to nearly a quarter of Lindauer's pre-election contributions. Lindauer co-authored a successful bill that exempted forestry operations, which provides some of the lumber used for home building and industrial construction, from any regulation required though that required those operations from requiring waterway or watershed permits if the waterways do not have a watershed greater than 10 square miles. Prior to the new law, forestry operations needed a permit 
if they were along waterways with a drainage at least one square mile. The House Committee on Utilities, Energy, and Telecommunications is chaired by Representative Ed Soliday, a retired United Airlines pilot and Army veteran who flew helicopter combat missions during the Vietnam War. Soliday reported deriving more than 25% of his income from investments managed by a financial firm. His re-election campaign received $16,000 from utilities and coal companies, $10,500 from realtors and home builders, and $3,500 from clean energy companies. Soliday authored and sponsored more than a dozen bills associated with the environment, including several controversial bills that allow utility companies to pass on more cost to utility customers. House Enrolled Act 1417 and Senate Enrolled Act 180 allow utilities to pass on the the cost of coal ash cleanups and other business costs to customers, essentially shielding companies from the cost of past financial decisions. Soliday authored bills also eliminated competitive bidding for electric transmission lines, allowed natural gas-fired power plants to qualify for financial benefits, reserved for clean energy projects, and slowed the adoption of utility-scale battery systems for renewable energy by requiring the system owners to get construction approval from the Indiana Department of Homeland Security to its usual permitting process. And last, we have the Senate committees. The Senate Committee on the Environment is chaired by Senator Rick Niemeyer, who reportedly reported holding an interest in his auction and realty service company. Niemeyer's re-election committee received $4,500 from realtors and home builders and $2,000 from energy companies. As committee chair, Niemeyer decided not to hear a bill establishing guidelines for beneficial use of coal ash and prevented a vote on a bill establishing a climate solutions task force in the state. The Senate Committee on Natural Resources is chaired by Senator Susan Glick, an attorney from LaGrange with no reported economic interests. Glick's re-election committee received $3,000 from BP North America and $1,000 from forestry associations. The committee's ranking member, Senator Gene Lysing, received campaign contributions from 10 separate utilities and energy suppliers totaling $8,850 and $1,000 from home building packs. Lysing introduced legislation that makes it more difficult for utilities to retire coal-fired power plants, eliminated a requirement for floodplain administrators to use quote-unquote best floodplain mapping data, for construction permitting, she voted for the previous year and co-authored a bill that would expand the number of small modular nuclear reactors that would qualify as clean energy projects in the state. The Senate Committee on Utilities is chaired by Bloomington Attorney Senator Eric Koch. In his 20-page statement of economic interest, Koch has reported having hundreds of investments including many oil, gas, and related sectors, industries directly affected by Koch's decisions as committee chair. Koch states that his are passive investments with no stock management participation, but his decisions could potentially be making him money. Koch's re-election committee has also received more than $24,000 in contributions from energy-related industries in 2022 alone. 
Koch authored legislation benefiting fossil fuels and renewable energy in 2023. There are no reports of Senator Yoder or Senator Pierce or Representative Pierce receiving monies from corporations. And now you know why the state of Indiana doesn't care about the environment. And now we go to environmental correspondent Zero Rose as he explores a statewide community solar initiative being advanced by a coalition of environmental organizations as well as some of the effects of climate change in Indiana with Delaney Barber of the Hoosier Environmental Council. Today we have with us Delaney Barber. Uh, she's Outreach Energy and Climate Coordinator for Hoosier Environmental Council. And uh, so what do you guys have going on right now, Delaney? I know you've uh, got an initiative with a bunch of other organizations uh, to do with community solar. You want to uh, explain well, what community solar is? Yes. So we're using community solar as a way to address a couple of things. Um, primarily, we are really concerned with climate change and taking climate action and reducing our emissions. And community solar is one way of really tackling those energy emissions and um, getting away from a dirty grid, per se, when we're also trying to do other initiatives at the same time to transition and electrify. And community solar can be one of those tools. Usually community solar is a subscription model that people can pay into. So if there's a small location, rooftop, brownfield, even in a community area, both rural or urban, it can be a small community solar array that then different households pay a subscription into. So it's keeping the energy local and reduces line loss that usually occurs with kind of very big grid lines coming from the power plant to certain transformers to then to your household. Um, and not everyone can put solar on their rooftop for instance, renters or co renters, condos, um, and certain rooftops just aren't feasible for rooftop solar. So this gives people an option um, to subscribe, per se, to a smaller community solar array nearby where they live. Um, and this usually occurs with third-party developers that maintain and plug into the grid, and then you get a credit back on your electricity bill. Uh, is this currently prohibited by law? It's not actually state policy yet, correct? Yes, so it's not exactly against the law. It's not written into code yet that there can't be any community solar, but there's no um, guidelines or code permitting community solar. And so without those businesses um, and third-party developers can't come in and start their development in case there's a conflict with the utility because 
utility investor owned utilities in the state have kind of first right of refusal for transmission lines because of recent legislation and a lot of other things about our grid. So without that system in place and kind of a code of conduct for how these projects are to take place and connect to the grid, um, we're not going to see any community solar starting here. And so is that part of what the coalition of organizations is, is doing is uh, kind of gathering a lobby to uh, implement that into policy? Yes, Hoosiers for Community Solar um, has a lot of different organizations and we're working towards um, kind of getting that policy passed and getting something in the Indiana code about community solar that explicitly allows third party community solar. I suppose it's hot enough for you here in Indiana now with the uh, climate change clearly coming in. Uh, we're also dealing with a solar maximum and an El Nino, which mm -hmm. compounds the situation. But uh, I think this will be the year that a lot of people will finally become convinced that, hmm, maybe we can have an impact on uh, global systems. Uh, what do you have to say about the climate change situation in Indiana? First, with where we're seeing our emissions be heavy on um, the electric power industry and industrial uses compared to other states that usually see the highest emissions in transportation. So we're getting a lot of air pollution to begin with, with our power generation and our industry that we have here. Plus on top of that, with recent events of climate change, like the climate induced wildfires in Canada, now making the Midwest's air pollution even worse, almost to a hazardous level. Um, Surely, we've had a lot of air quality action days more than in the past and the recent history, and it's getting to an unhealthy level that people should not exercise outside. They should limit their exposure um, and possibly wear masks due to this. So we're seeing a compounding effect with those direct impacts, and we've already noticed trends that are slowly creeping up, but we're going to notice even more with that extreme rainfall and extreme heat coming together in the summer. So we're getting those severe storms and then a break of no rainfall. And then when it does rain, it's heavy and it's extreme, which is already uh, stressing kind of our soil erosion that's happening, our water quality. Um, and then another recent event, the tick season has been really bad in the Midwest this year because we've had a milder winter overall, and we're going to see that trend continue. But that doesn't mean we aren't going to get um, kind of interspersed extreme cold events. So we still have to be prepared for both extreme cold and extreme heat, but we're going to start seeing some of those pests that usually get killed off in a colder, longer winter kind of come up to Indiana, which is really going to stress our agriculture on top of all the climate change that we're seeing. And I believe we're still uh, pretty reliant on coal. As, as I think they've brought it down a little bit in the last few years. I don't know if you know the uh, percentage of our electricity that's coal generated in Indiana. I don't know coal off the top of my head, 
I do know that we still are a top coal producer, but we as a state also import natural gas and we actually use more natural gas than we do coal now. So the amount that we're producing and consuming, um, we're producing and consuming more natural gas than coal. And that's gonna continue to go down with a lot of investor owned utilities in their integrated resource plans saying that they're converting most of their coal plants to natural gas plants, as well as battery storage and some, some renewable energy as well. Um, but there are no plans in the books in the future, in the foreseeable future anywhere in the US to um, create a new coal plant. Every, every coal plant kind of has a retiring date at this point or by 2050 retirement date. And uh, solar has finally started to become cheaper than coal and some other fossil fuels. And uh, the utility rates uh, are up partly due to settlements with other states downwind from us, suing us over our pollution, I guess affecting acid rain and, and uh, other matters. Do you see a way to uh, accelerate, uh, you know, and kind of catch up with the exponential increase that's happening, or at least a tipping point that's being reached? Uh, uh, some way to radically shift uh, policy in Indiana? Um, you know, some kind of openings that can can make maybe a little more drastic change than the kind of incremental thing that's been going on for a while. Um, and this is respect in respect to, to our energy system and, and solar. Okay. Yes. So right now the coalition is working really hard to identify some areas where we can, we can get maybe a policy introduced and hopefully passed as well um, in the foreseeable future. And this is also going to take um, a lot of people to be more involved in their communities. Um, you can meet with your legislator throughout the year. And in a lot of these communities, um, we see people trying to contact them during the session, which is actually their busiest time. And if we're going to make these issues kind of at the forefront of their mind, we need to advocate throughout the year. And it really doesn't take too many people to make a difference, especially with your local legislator. Um, and we've seen that time and time again, as well as sharing your story. So when you're talking about solar or you're talking about wetlands um, or climate change, it can't just be like, I support X policy or this needs to change because. Um, how is climate change affecting you? And we have some really good examples from the summer of how a lot of people were affected. Um, how can we make a difference? What are my interests? I want to address climate change because this has impacted me and I'm worried for my family. On top of that, I see us transitioning our grid and making our communities cleaner with these tools. Um, 
that's kind of our biggest area for growth right now is just getting more people activated throughout the state, not just in central Indiana or different communities where people are already really active, but throughout the state. Um, because there isn't really good representation right now of all the views that are happening at the state because we don't have enough people voicing them um, with their legislators. This is In Nature. Hi, I'm Juliana Daly, and today's In Nature segment is about the Eastern Whippoorwill, made famous in folk songs, poem, and literature for their endless chanting on summer nights. They are easy to hear, but hard to see. Their brindled plumage blends perfectly with the grain-brown leaf litter of the open forest where they breed and roost. These common birds are on the decline in parts of their range as open forests are converted to suburbs or agriculture. They are strictly nocturnal. They feed exclusively on insects including moths, beetles, grasshoppers, ants, bees, wasps, and fireflies. They spend the day sitting motionless, becoming active only at dusk. Whippoorwills time their nesting so that chicks will hatch about 10 days before the full moon, when the parents have more time and moonlight to catch food for them. The eastern whippoorwill is on the 2016 State of North America's Birds Watch List, which includes bird species that are most at risk of extinction without significant conservation actions to reverse declines and reduce threats. You've been listening to In Nature. For Eco Report, I'm Juliana Daly. And I'm Frank Marshalek. Are you looking for a way to make a difference on environmental issues? Here at Eco Report, we are currently looking for reporters, engineers, and segment producers. Our goal is to report facts on how we're all affected by global climate disruption and the ongoing assaults on our air, land, and water. We also celebrate ecologists, tree huggers, soil builders, and an assortment of champions who actively protect and restore our natural world particularly those who are active in South Central Indiana. All levels of experience and all ages are welcome, and we provide the training you'll need. WFHB also offers internships. To volunteer for Eco Report, give us a call at 812-323-1200 or email us at earth at wfhb.org. And now for some upcoming events. Enjoy a full moon hike around Lake Ogle at Brown County State Park on Saturday, July 29th from 9 to 10 p.m. The Sturgeon full moon is considered a supermoon. You'll hike Trail 7, an easy 1.2 miles, as you learn the history and folklore of the Sturgeon full moon and what a supermoon is. Spring Mill State Park is having a Who Goes There hike on Saturday, July 29th from 10 to 11 p.m. Meet at the Tulip Poplar Shelter to learn all about owls. You will hike along Trail 7 while trying to hear a few of the owls in the wild. Learn all about the Marvelous Monarchs at Spring Mill State Park on Wednesday, August 2nd from 2 to 2.30 p.m. Meet Sydney at the Lakeview Activity Center to learn about the life cycle of the monarch butterfly and what you can do to encourage them into your yard. 
Sycamore Land Trust is hosting a wildflower meadow preserve a preserve volunteer weed wrangle at the Touch the Earth Natural Area in Bartholomew County on Friday, August the 4th from 8 to 11 a.m. While pulling weeds, learn how to identify and control invasive plants. RSVP to sycamorelandtrust.org. Is it a frog or a toad? Learn the differences between frogs and toads at the Payne Town State Recreation Area at Monroe Lake on Friday, August 4th from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. Meet at the campground where you will also make a froggy craft. That wraps up our show for this week. Eco Report is brought to you in part by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. Found locally at 812-334-4003 and on the web at mpisolarenergy.com. This week's headlines were written by Norm Holy. Today's news feature was produced by Zero Rose and edited by Noel Herhusky Schneider. Juliana Daly assembled the script, which was edited by Zero Rose. Juliana Daly compiled our events calendar. Cade Young and Noel Herhusky Schneider produced today's show. Brandon Blewett is our engineer. For WFHB, I'm Juliana Daly. And I'm Frank Marshlack. And this is Eco Report. <laughs>